91. Hymn number 91. Let's stand together and sing. Just when I need him most, 
immediately talked to Sydney and I was like, we have to do this, but I can't do it alone. I just kind of sitting there like praying about it on this and was just like, you know, I feel like we need to do this because you don't know, like God can work whatever he wants. So you don't know if you, if you weren't to do it, who knows what's gonna happen. Getting the word out really, really encouraged people. They were like, wow, this is a big deal. They're making shirts for it. We made the t-shirts and a few people bought some. And then at the end, towards the end, I put it on my Instagram and everyone was like, oh, oh I want a t-shirt, I want a t-shirt. And it went crazy. And I think we really used social media to spread. We used it for t-shirt orders. We used it for the flagpole meeting times. We used it to promote it. And it worked. I think if we didn't use social media, there would probably not be as many people as there were there. So I think that it helped out a lot. You know, at first I thought it was just my school that I was going to share my faith in Jesus with, but then it eventually, with Sydney's help of her prayer that went viral, it just, it made us get to share our experience with the world. When I walked out of the door, I saw um, everybody, you know, holding hands, and I just tried to, like, squeeze in the circle, but, like, the guy next to me didn't want to, like, hold my hand, so I was like, oh, forget it, I'm praying, so I just kind of grabbed his hand. <laughs> and so I just started praying, and as I was praying, I just kept getting, like, little words from God that just kept flowing into my head, basically. And I've never experienced God speaking through me before until this. And in that moment, I really did feel the presence of the Lord come upon me, and I was like, oh my Lord, this is Jesus. Now I'm willing to talk about my faith with everybody and anybody, no matter who you are, I will talk about it with you. And I'm not afraid to either. If Bring Your Bible to School Day wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't have been able to change in that way because I would still be not, you know, social about my faith kids wanted to do it they were just so afraid of what people would think about them and what society would say. It lets God's light shine throughout the public school even when we're told not to bring our Bible to school or not to talk about our faith. This really had an experience and an impact on many kids to show them that we were able to really express our faith and nobody can tell us no. This past week on Monday, our church went to, um, we served, I believe it was 100 ham and turkey sandwiches to the freshman and uh, junior varsity football team at Lafayette High School. On Tuesday, our women's ministry came up here and prepared about 80 different bags of food for uh, uh children for take-home food, after-school food at Lafayette High School. On Wednesday, our student ministry went to Jesse Clark Middle School and served three dozen donuts at CU at the Pole. And I'm proud of our church for doing these things because we live in a time where if the church, if we aren't part of our community, if the community doesn't see that Broadway is here as not just a come to us and we'll tell you about Jesus, but getting out in the community, whether that's serving food, giving out Bibles, during revival, letting the fire departments know to come here, we will be irrelevant if we don't do that. That is so important that the community and the church are intertwined together. And, you know, I might not be as old as some of you, but I, mean, I remember, Sherry and I were very active in church, but, and, and uh, it's hard to believe this, but I played some sports, wasn't very good. I was, you know, one of the players that didn't always make it, but I tried, and there was never practice on Wednesday nights. There was a sense of respect that Sundays and Wednesdays, the schools didn't encroach on that time because they knew that the kids were active in a local church in their community. I mean, it was just, that was the norm. And that is gone. And nowadays, to reaching teenagers or children or middle schoolers or college students, 
you are literally going head-to-head with school events. Shillitoe Park on Sundays is packed right there near I live. Now, I share all this because what we're going to see here, and go ahead and turn your Bible, Acts chapter 5. What this is about, and if you have your bulletin insert, you need to pull it out. Uh, If you received it here, uh, if you didn't, you can slip back there in the back and grab your bulletin or bring it back from this morning. Faithful gospel ministry, and that's what we want to do. And not just as a church, as individuals too. Faithful gospel ministry results in both blessing and opposition. And that's true. You will be blessed by it, but there will be people who oppose you. A lot of times that opposition comes within the church. There'll be other people saying, we don't need to do that. This morning, uh, we are in our, uh, Skip Stevens teaches the um, next steps. uh, It's kind of a new members class in there. So new and nearly new folks have been part of our church. It's only a four-week class. And today what happened was, um, always the second class is when each different minister goes in for 10 minutes. And I went over my time into David's time. And uh, so pushed everybody behind, but because they were asking good questions. That's my excuse. And what happened was, today one of the questions was, and I think Skip was even asking it for the class, because we had a good class in there, and somebody even joined it this morning um, for next week. They asked me, it says, you know, what's a good church member look like? What do you do? So you, you join the church, you're coming you're, you're, uh, you're giving, you're listening to sermons, you're growing. But what about the serving part? I believe it's important that every one of you has a place that you're serving. That's very important in a church. Because what happens is you're able to serve through what God is teaching and growing you. And that's important because when you serve you take ownership of the church and you, you feel connected and you feel like this is how I'm able to use my talents, my gifts that God has given me and advance, and advance the kingdom. So I share that and what we're going to see here in tonight's uh, message here, we're going, we're, by the way, we're preaching through the book of Acts on Sunday night. We're going to see the apostles, mainly Peter and John, how they are aggressively serving the Lord, and they're constantly meeting needs. So I want you to turn there in your Bible. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to read through the, we're going to read four different sections, and we'll stop, and we're going to explain it. And the goal of this is, is, is really help understand, encourage us that Number one, we need to be doing gospel, faithful gospel ministry. That's how you serve. I was so proud of see Gideons on Friday night talk about the, some of the experiences they have. And some are good and others aren't good. Some people are not happy if you're on the street handing out bi- Bibles. They will, they will oppose you. They'll take your Bible and throw it in the trash in front of your face and mock you about it. And um, I have one in our church tell me a story uh, that down at UK's campus that uh, he thinks it was a professor just coming up mocking him for believing, basically joking about how can you prove there's a God? Like, why, why, how do you know anything's true about this book? And that, that's, that's our culture. That's the opposition you expect. What we see here is that is the same thing that happened 2,000 years ago. These apostles lived in an anti-Christian culture. So don't you follow along here, Bible. Acts 5:12 Many signs and wonders were being done among the people through the hands of the apostles. Let's stop right there. Many signs and wonders were being done through the hands of the apostles. When's the last time you've come to church and you've seen someone here at the altar get healed? You've seen a blind person receive sight. You've seen someone who just is, they, they have serious problems and God has healed them. I think a lot of times for us, we're scared to even talk about that because we'll be labeled a TV evangelist or 
Cleflo Dollar or Pentecostal. There's, you get a label attached to you. But we see gospel ministry was advancing through signs and wonder, wonders. God was working through these men and women. Look how, how it happened here. And it's easy for us to say, oh, that was 2,000 years ago. God doesn't uh, do that anymore. But nowhere in the Bible do we see it, it says that signs and wonders have ceased. Look what occurs right here. They were all together in Solomon's colony. That's outside the temple. No one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. Do you know what that phrase means? No one else dared to join them. That meant unbelievers had just heard about the earlier verses about Priscilla and Sapphira who had fallen dead. I'm sorry, Ananias and Sapphira, Priscilla. That was in, uh, that's in the book of Acts later on, <coughs> Priscilla. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, they had fallen dead right there. This was last Sunday night sermon. And folks were alarmed is an understatement. The men just came out and buried them right there. So what happened is people are thinking, well, if I don't believe what they believe, I'm not going to join them. So all of a sudden we see a true genuineness. Those that were in their presence were true believers. So it says no one else dared to join them, but the people spoke well of them. So they realized these folks are, are there serving the community. They're doing good deeds and helping others. Verse 14, believers were added to the Lord in increasing numbers, multitudes of both men and women. Do you know God wants his church to grow? Numbers matter because numbers represent people. People represent souls to God. The Lord wants to see souls saved. So you have to ask the question, do you want to be in a church where 20 people get saved or 120 people get saved? Well, I hope all of us answer, we want to be in a church where 120 folks or more get saved. You want to see the Lord increasing in number. So great things are happening. The Lord is moving and working. Verse 15, as a result, they would carry the sick out into the streets and lay them on cots and mats. So that when Peter came by, look at this, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. If Peter's shadow fell on you, you were healed. In addition, a multitude came together from the surrounding towns, surrounding Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And they were all healed. You know, one of the, what, what we see here, the ministry that's occurring, is really what we would call the gospel ministry is enriching, is enriching the poor in spirit. And when a lot of times that phrase we use, the poor in spirit, these were folks who needed a touch from God. We have it up here as point number one here in your bulletin, sir. Enriches the poor in spirit. Where does this phrase, the poor in spirit, come from? This actually comes from the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 3, Jesus' most famous sermon, y'all need to turn there, I'm going to read it to you. He has everybody there on the hillside, see Galilee, and he looks at them and he goes through the Beatitudes. In the very first Beatitude, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The poor in spirit doesn't necessarily at all mean you're poor and you have no money. The poor in spirit are people who need a touch from God. They need to feel and experience the power and the presence of Jesus. They're addicted. They have problems in their families and at their home and at job. They're anxious. They're running around not knowing what to do. And the Lord is wanting to touch them. He's wanting Peter's shadow to fall on them so they can experience the blessing of knowing the Lord. Broadway, we are surrounded by folks here who are the poor in spirit. And, it, and again, we use that word poor, we keep thinking they're, they're broke. No, they need the Lord. A wealthy person can be poor in spirit. And Jesus is coming along and saying, these people who 
have just been in spiritual blindness and the blindness that they were encountering in Bible times was a blindness that they would go to the temple and go to the synagogue and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were teaching that Jesus was not the Messiah. They were teaching lies. That's why Jesus is confronting them. What, what we're, we're about to see these guys get thrown in jail because they're preaching Jesus and the Sadducees aren't happy. So what's happened is the, the temple where the folks would go to get a blessing for Lord, they were teaching bad doctrine. For us, for the poor in spirit, for some folks it is bad doctrine in some churches. But the other folks, the blindness today, the poor in spirit, is the lie that people all of our city and our state and our nation believe that they can get by without the Lord. They're okay. They're fine. They've pulled themselves up by their bootstraps and God is going to keep them. He's going to let them into heaven. And they're, they're going about their life without the Lord. They are not experiencing or practicing the presence of God. Keep going here in your Bibles. It says here in verse 17. So great things are about to happen. So now we're about to meet some opposition. Then the high priest rose up. He and all who were with him who belonged to the party of the Sadducees. The Sadducees would be the opposite party of the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the liberals. The Pharisees were the conservatives. The Pharisees were the legalistic ones. They would be like the... Uh, Pharisees would be like the Republicans today. It's basically a bunch of rules, if you want to describe it that way. You need to do this, don't do this, you don't need to do this. And it was their jo job would be to, to cross people out. Sadducees, we call them the Democrats. They didn't even believe in the resurrection. They had huge errors in their doctrine. The Sadducees and the Pharisees were so, both part of something, and the Sadducees were, they were religious elites. They were all part of a group. Certain of them, members are, are called the Sanhedrin. This is the same group that condemned Jesus. Now, they're about to come together and they're going to go after the apostles. And literally just a few, few weeks earlier, here they were crucifying Jesus. Now look what's happening here. It says, When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail. Or I'm sorry, I, I skipped down. I'm, 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 verse 17. When the high priest rose up, both those sentences started in verse 17 and 21. He and all who were with him, verse 17, who belonged to the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. Why are they jealous? They're jealous because the followers of Jesus, these apostles, are getting, a, they're getting more attention. People are starting to listen to them. Their group is growing. So they arrested. This is how you get rid of people. So they arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail during the night, brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and tell the people all about this life. What life is he talking about, the angel? It's the life, the new life in Christ that Jesus offers. Hearing this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. So they're right there. They go right back to the temple, and they find themselves teaching, continuing on. So what's happening here is the scripture we see is how God is just God is performing miracles, releasing these folks so they continue to advance the gospel. And what's important for this is these Sadducees, they're jealous. Faithful gospel ministry. Look at this on your bulletin. It enrages the prideful. People who are very prideful and arrogant, they are not excited to see God do great things through other people. Here's the real test. I remember, I remember when I was in school. I was in school forever. And uh, not because it took a long time, but because I just kept on going and going for more degrees. And what happened was, <laughs> to clarify that, I said, did the guy pass? Uh, 
what happened, I had, a, I had a professor one time, Brother Heard, and he describes as here's how you can really evaluate your attitude. When God isn't really doing great things at the church you're serving in, but down the road, it's exploding. Now, how you respond to that is huge. Because it's easy to think, well, why is God half mile down the road seeing great revival, people saved, increasing numbers, building new buildings, exciting things happening down the road, but God here, it's just dry land. There's just sticks, burnt, burnt up area. Like, God, how can I be excited for Him when you're not doing anything here? How you respond to someone else's blessing determines your spiritual condition. And even in your own life, do you rejoice? Are you excited when God blesses someone else? Now, this is tough because a lot of times you do soul searching. And you're not. I mean, think about it. You want to get married? All your friends are getting married? Why am I not getting married? You want a great job? Why am I not getting a great job? I want to have lots of children, a big family, a big house, a huge dog. We have a big dog. That's, we, we actually, you can go adopt one of those. And when the, they tell you it's free, it's not free. Well, not, dogs aren't free. Even here's a free dog. So <clears throat> $3,000 later, is, we saw, anyway. But that is what happens is you're looking at other people in the sin of jealousy can creep into your life. Why did my spouse die? Why did I get cancer? Why did my fa family turn out like this? Why are my children and grandchildren having these addiction issues and they're not? Look at your heart. Guys, I'll struggle with this. You probably struggle with this too. You look at other people and you look at their life and it's easy to be just like these Sadducees. God, why not me? Why them and not me? What did I do to deserve this? People struggle with the sin of jealousy. It's what we call an indwelling sin. They don't go out and say it. They might tell it to the Lord. They'll tell it to themselves, but they don't tell it to people. And God knows that sin. A true True spiritual discipleship is when God blesses someone else. We can genuinely rejoice in them. And that is hard to do. It's hard to be a bridesmaid sometimes. It's hard to be the guy that got passed over for the job when you're wondering, why not me? That's, what these, that's what's happening here. The Sadducees, they're filled with jealousy because God is blessing these apostles in their teaching. So they throw them in jail. And our response to that is, faithful gospel ministry enrages the prideful. And you have to be able to say, God is a pride in my heart. Have I become jealous? Do I, am I envious of other people? Do you know envy is the tenth commandment? Envy is a root of so many other sins. Because deep down, what you're saying is, God, I'm not happy unless you give me this. Or you meet this need. This is an indwelling sin. A lot of people don't come to the altar. Brother Heard, I don't think anybody's ever come to the altar and say, I need to confess the sin of envy. Maybe it's happened with you over 60 years, but not with me. That's just not something people do. They don't come and say that. And that's the 10th commandment. It's covetousness. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, dog, house, job, whatever it is. We don't do that. Moving along here in your Bibles. Look what happened. Verse, I didn't, verse 21b. When the high priest and those who were filled, B means the second part. When the high priest and those who were with him arrived, 
they convened the Sanhedrin, the full council of the Israelites, and sent orders to the jail to have them brought. But when the servants got there, they did not find them in the jail. So they returned and reported, We found the jail securely locked, with the guards standing in front of the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. As the captain of the temple police, the, the church had its own police department. They arrest you at church. So that's how, uh, that, that's what, that, when it talks about the temple police, you, that, the, uh, the high priest and the Sanhedrin, if they wanted to lock up people, they, they could certainly do that and kept people in line. So they, they come back, verse 24, as the captain of the temple police and the chief priests heard these things, they were baffled about them. Now understand who these people, this is the, the, the temple police and the chief police. They're the ones there that locked them up and had them locked up. And look, don't miss this phrase, the very last part of verse 24. This just shows uh, the anticipation that something's about to happen. So they're baffled about this, wondering what would come of this. Like the guys already went around healing, so now we think, where'd they go? I have no idea. Well, this should be interesting. Stay tuned. Something is about to happen. Because you have to remember, these folks who already had, the Lord's presence was with them. They're going around healing and performing great miracles, and the movement is growing. This is right here in middle Jerusalem where this is occurring. Someone came and reported to them, Look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the commander went with his servants and brought them in without force, because they were afraid the people might stone them. So now the apostles are are getting an escort, a kind escort, because of, of the fear of the crowd. After they brought them in, they had... Them stand before the Sanhedrin, and the high priest asked, Didn't we strictly order you not to teach in this name? Look, you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Do you know who they're talking about? Jesus. They're going around preaching Jesus has been resurrected, and the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and the Sadducees had him crucified. He was the Messiah. And they didn't like that because it made them look guilty. Peter and the apostles reply, now this is, this is our reply for us. This is so important in 2019. This is the takeaway from tonight. Look at what Peter and the apostles. Now, we, don't, we know Peter's one of them. We likely know John because John, two chapters earlier, he was with them teaching and preaching and arrested. This is the second time already in the book of Acts they've been thrown in jail. So, the second, so look what he says. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than people. Or in your KJV, we must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. What that means is, here in Kentucky, here in the United States, here in our city, if our government is telling us what to do, that goes against God's word and God's clear teaching, we have a conflict. We can either obey God or we can obey the law. And this is coming to a head for a lot of folks. What do you do when you're forced to make a decision? Follow God or follow the law? You know, in our country, the First Amendment is very first, a very first wording of the First Amendment is religious, the freedom of religious liberty. And if we're not careful, that can be eroded away. God, inalienable rights actually come from God. They don't come from the government. We get freedom from the Lord, not from our government. And what happened here is we see that these men recognize that even though you have told me not to preach and teach in Jesus' name, I have to do it. Even though you tell little children, or you might tell children, don't bring a Bible to school, 
They're going to bring their Bible to school. They're going to be a witness at work. They're going to go to their campus and let folks know that they love the Lord. And we have to be prepared mentally. When you, before you encounter this, you already have to be prepared. And well, how am I going to respond if a law is passed that I have, I have to break God's word? Let's put it in the context of today. Homosexuality is coming. It's, it's coming to churches. Let me explain how. One day, let's, for example, we're up here at the office. This has not happened yet. I'm up there goofing off for Brother Herd. And all of a sudden, two men walk in and say, Hello, sirs. We'd like to get married at your facility. We live down the road. We're two men. We'd love to have our homosexual wedding right here. Brother Heard and I explained the scriptures, but the Bible condemns homosexuality. And in fact, marriage is between one man and one woman, and that they need to repent and believe in Jesus. Well, they secretly record us. Brother Heard and I are aware of that. You can actually secretly record anybody on your phone, and they have no idea. And they go find an attorney. They leave after they're rejected. About two weeks later, Vicki gets a notice in the mail that we're being sued for discrimination. And they probably knew it was a setup. They probably knew we're a Bible-believing church, and it, it's going to come. And then it's going to be in the news, and it's going to go before a judge, and you see how it's literally is going to go down that road. And you say, oh, you know, that won't happen. It will happen. It, every single church will have to decide, okay, am I willing to lose my tax-exempt status? Am I willing? That will happen. Am I, and soon, what, 10, 15 years from now, when you give to a church, it might not be tax-free because of that issue. Down the road, you could come to church and there'll be protesters out front of your church thinking, what on earth? They'll walk into the church and disrupt the service. Security teams will be the most important team in a church to make sure protesters don't come in. Why? Because we have chosen to follow and abide by Scripture. That is what it will look like in 2019. I haven't seen it yet, but Sherry's brought to my attention here. Uh, this past Wednesday, in the fellowship hall, our church during the week is actually very busy. We have a BUAC school, we have a preschool. You know our preschool has over 100 kids now, and Sherry Lyons is just booming. But for during revival, we were having a revival dinner there, and Sherry was motioning at me, about something up in the ceiling. And I didn't see it. I, I, people were talking to me. So then I believe John King went and got it down. And then this past Wednesday, someone, it's, it's in the ceiling between the men's and the women's restroom downstairs below us. And Sherry, I, don't, I think you might have pulled it down this past week. I still haven't seen it. John did. Two times, John. He's a tall man. Someone is putting up rainbow flags in our church. We don't know who's doing it. Could be a teenager, could be an adult. But do y'all see this? And they probably know what I preach and teach. They know our doctrine. Actually, you say, what about the cameras? I actually went this week and looked on the cameras. They don't reach that far back to see. But this is what, it starts out subtly. And it slowly creeps in. One of our responsibilities as believers is we hold to God's truth. And for those who don't know, the rainbow flag represents homosexuality. In the Bible, the rainbow represents God's covenant with Noah that he'll never flood the earth again. But today, it's been distorted that it represents something different. I share this because this is what happens one day at our church, 
It will happen. I have a pastor friend that had protesters come in and disrupt a service over this issue. He was preaching the scriptures, and about a dozen folks came in hooping and hollering just to disrupt it to make a point. Now some of the men stood up, but what happened is helped escort them out, but of course they've got video cameras. They're wanting, they're trying to incite you to attack them so it's on camera, so it can be a lawsuit, so it can be on the news and on social media. And saying, this is what Christians do. This is what Christians respond. Church, this is what's occurring right here in Acts chapter 5. These men were told to be quiet about Jesus. You have no business to be teaching on the Lord. And they looked at him and says, look, I'm not going to listen to you. I obey God. Are you bold enough to respond that way? When the protesters come to Broadway Baptist, when the, Brother Hurt, when the gay men come up here secretly recording us, when folks come here because we stand on God's Word, this is so far into when I, even I was growing up in church. But we have literally made a circle to what it's like in Acts chapter 5. These apostles are being told to get in line or be quiet. In Christians today, we're told the same thing. You need to be quiet or you're going to get in line with the culture. This is why it's so important for us, that verse there. Let's go back and read it again. They responded in verse 29. Peter and the apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. We must. There's no option. Church, we we live and die on God's Word. If we die, that means we're called a martyr. If we live, Jesus continues to work through us. Keep going here in your Bibles. Look what happened. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had murdered by hanging him on a tree. God exalted this man to his right hand as ruler and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So right there we see that God, he is raised up Jesus. They are witnesses, meaning they're there to boldly. They have witnessed Jesus resurrected, the power of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, and they're not going to be quiet. Keep going through here. This is what God, God does. He's going to raise up an unlikely person to basically save these folks' lives. Look at verse 33. When they heard this, meaning the Sanhedrin, the Jewish religious leaders, they were enraged and look at this and wanted to kill them. That's how you solve problems. You kill people. Nowadays, you sue them. <laughs> you make fun of them. You, you video them. You, you destroy their reputation. But Bible times, you just killed them. So these folks are good. They're going to they're gonna get killed now. But a Pharisee, God uses unlikely people, named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was respected by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men to be taken outside for a little while, meaning the apostles need to go outside. We need to have a meeting and talk about this before we kill the guys. We just killed Jesus. Now we don't, probably don't need to start killing his followers. And he said to the men of Israel, be careful about what you're about to do to these men. He knew these, they're, they're breathing fire. Some time ago, Thedoas rose up claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed and came to nothing. Meaning, if Jesus is nothing, then this would die out. After this man, Judas the Galilean, rose up in the days of the census and attracted a following. He also perished, and all his followers were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, stay away from these men and leave them alone, for it is for if this plan or this work is of human origin, it will fail. And that's certainly the case today. If you're doing something of human origin, it will not last. But, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even be finding yourselves fighting against God. They were persuaded by him. After they called in the apostles, 
and had them flogged, they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and release them. So the first time they were arrested, they just received the order of not to speak in the name of Jesus. The second time Peter and John and the apostles were arrested, they got beat and still ordered not to speak in the name of Jesus. Now look here. So it's interesting how God uses unlikely people. An older man named Gamaliel rose up and said, Guys, look, y'all just need to chill out. Because if this is of the Lord, you'll be fighting against God. Most likely it's human origin and it will die out. God can even raise up people who are not believers and allow them to help his purpose here. Because these guys, this Sanhedrin, they were about to kill these apostles. And he used an unlikely person who was not a believer to speak truth through his mouth. Look at verse 41. Look what happened here. This reminds us of the power of the gospel. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. They're proud of the fact that they were able to identify with Jesus, the name of Jesus, for this. If Jesus can die on a cross for my sins, I can be willing to be a bold witness to the point of death for Him. Every day in the temple and in various homes, they continued teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. Did they wait to Sundays? Every day they were being a witness. What we see here is the last fill in the blank. Faithful gospel ministry energizes the people. It certainly did. The people were encouraged. When you are doing the Lord's work, you will experience two things. The blessing and the opposition. When a church is growing, it will experience the blessing and the opposition. Opposition will come. And we want to make sure that when it comes, we don't give in. These guys were commanded multiple times to be silent, and they were not silent. I am afraid a lot of us, we have, we've become silent. We're no longer like the apostles here. We have silenced ourselves. If this were to happen to you, it would have been very easy for Peter and John and the apostles to say, all right, I, I agree. We'll just teach at home among our fellow believers. We won't go to the temple anymore. We'll still be Christians, but we'll just do it among ourselves. No. They had a public ministry. They did not back down. You know, I follow uh, Franklin Graham, and Franklin Graham's made a statement once, really not too long ago. He set, set a goal in like, 10 years, every school board in America needs to have Christians running it. Because what's happened is, one of his passions is he's watched school systems throughout our country literally just, do you know the original school was founded in Boston to teach the Bible? That was where, that was where public education actually started in our nation. It's actually, you, you would go to school and you'd bring a Bible, the teacher would give you a Bible, and you'd learn to read and write using this book right here. So bring your Bible to school day on Thursday is actually just bringing, going back 400 years to how it used to be when public education started in Boston. That school is actually still there, or the site of it, not the original building with that. What it is, Franklin Graham said, Christians need to start running and being on their school board. Because if you don't, what you're doing is you're basically saying, I'm going to allow other people to make decisions that will ultimately shape the next generation. And if these other people aren't grounded in, the, in, in Scripture, in the Gospel, those decisions will not be biblical and godly decisions. They will lead people away from Scripture. We need to be able to look at our lives in closing here and say, God, what am I doing? What tools have you given me, my, my resources that I have, that's helping position and point people to Christ? Or have I become silent? If you've become silent, 
Ask the Lord. says, Lord, awaken my spirit. Give me that desire to be a witness like these men. If you read these stories and think, that's not me. Scripture saying, God is saying, yes, that can be you. There's no reason you can't have this same witness as they had. God's calling us. He's commanding us. He's telling us here, we're going to receive a blessing of serving Him, and we're going to receive opposition. Every time you come to church, you should almost be looking for it. Blessing, opposition. Blessing, opposition. Because it's going to happen. You're doing gospel ministry, the devil will come and oppose it. He will send people. He will raise up people to make sure the gospel ceases. God, I thank you for your word. I pray as we just study the book of Acts, we see the power of how the gospel advanced through these men and these apostles. Lord, we live in the same day. We're told to be quiet. It's coming to us. Lawsuits are headed our way. Losing our tax-exempt status. People shooting, having video cameras trying to incite, incite people. God, I pray that we are rooted in Scripture and that we boldly proclaim the gospel. Lord, even when we're told no, ultimately we know that we must obey you rather than men. Your law is above man's law. Lord, I pray as we have our invitation that we boldly respond to what you're doing. I pray that these words seek, seep into our lives. And Lord, it just enables us to be a great witness for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close every service with an invitation. You can respond to the gospel. You can join our church tonight. Come forward and pray. Whatever you want to decide. I'm going to invite everyone to stand. David Dale's going to lead us in a song. I'll be standing up waiting for you. We're going to sing number 433, I Surrender All. All to Jesus I surrender, all to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence. Daily live, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. Make me Savior, holy thine. Let me feel thy Holy Spirit. Truly know that thou art mine. I surrender all. I surrender all. All to thee. Thank you so much. I want to remind everybody, our next time to gather together is Wednesday night. We're studying the book of Revelation. We're in chapter 3. I hope you're able to come. We're in verse 10, so we're right. We're trucking along. We're going to be studying that. So we have dinner at 530, as well as our Bible study at 630. So I hope to see you all on Wednesday evening. Let's sing the chorus. Are you washed in the blood, in the soul-cleansing blood of the Lamb? Are your garments spotless? Are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? All right, see you Wednesday.